Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, We have been reading the story of the first Christians uh, from the book of Acts together. And last week we read uh, about the martyrdom of Stephen and about the persecution that started that day, which led to the scattering of thousands of Christians away from the city of Jerusalem. So what happens next is Luke's story follows one of the people who was scattered, um, Philip was one of the seven who had been set aside by the apostles into that new leadership group. And he went to Samaria, the hill country north of Judea, on that day. And that's where he was when the story that we're going to read took place. So I'm going to read from uh, Acts 8, verses 26 through 40. You can follow along uh, in the order of worship where it's printed or in a Bible. Or you can just listen as I read from Acts 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his own way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we just uh, sang those words together that those whose hearts are prepared and those whose hearts are dismayed, that all of us would find strength and solace in your name. And so we just ask that that would be true. Um, that wherever we are in faith or outside of faith, whatever kind of condition we find ourselves in uh, this morning, the weeks that we've come from, the mornings, the years, Father, that we would hear this word and find strength in it and find solace and rest in it. That you'd use this word that we've read together to lead us to the word incarnate who is seated at your right hand, praying for people like us right now, praying for us right now. And we ask that in his name. Amen. 
Well, uh, <clears throat> last week, on one of the days of the week after staff prayer, um, a bunch of the staff somehow got onto the topic of grocery stores. Uh, we started talking about the ones uh, that we frequent, which grocery stores do we go to, which we like, which we don't like, why do we like this one or not like that one. I guess just the normal stuff that you talk about after prayer, grocery stores. Uh, and it became clear pretty quickly that one of the things that drew some of us to certain grocery stores um, was the quality and the abundance of free samples that were available at those grocery stores. In fact, one of, one of the staff, um, for privacy, we'll just call him Tyler H. Um, <laughs> one of the staff said that he likes a particular grocery store because he can eat like a whole meal while he's making the rounds of that grocery store. Tyler H. runs marathons. He needs sustenance. And, uh, you know, it's funny how those free samples have that kind of funny effect. It feels almost like you're, you're getting away with something. You know, there's this whole pizza sliced up into little pieces or some fresh squeezed orange juice or some good-looking cheese. And you look at it and you think to yourself, this seems too good to be true. This is food with no strings attached. Why wouldn't I just grab a piece You know, what's stopping me? (laughs) And I want to say that that kind of feeling, that kind of question is at the heart of this story that we just read together. That, That feeling, that question is really the theological, the emotional centerpiece of the story that we just read together. And if we miss it, we'll miss, I think, the point of the story. Maybe you heard it. It's after Philip explains the good news to this Ethiopian The chariot rolls by some water and he sees it and he asks Philip, what prevents me from being baptized? What is stopping me? And I want to tell you that that question is not a question that Luke uh, adds to give some texture to the story. That isn't some kind of technical question about whether there was enough water there, whether Philip was a duly ordained minister of the gospel. That is a question that this man asked because Philip has just told him the best thing he has ever heard in his life. And he wants to make sure he heard it right. That's a question that this man asks because his life is on the verge of changing forever. And he wants to make sure that this good news really is for a guy like him. It's a beautiful story. This is a story that shows the gospel crossing barriers into places that maybe even Philip hadn't dreamed it could go. And the the good news has been doing that ever since in your life, in mine and all over the world. So like I said before, after that persecution started in Jerusalem, Philip made his way to Samaria. He had to leave Jerusalem, and so he went to Samaria, the hill country between the northern and southern parts of Israel. At the time, that part of the country was populated with half-Jewish, half-Gentile people. These were a people who had stayed in the land while the rest of the country went into exile in Babylon. They married one another. They made families together. They made lives together. And then the exiles came back, and ethnically and racially and religiously, the Samaritans were viewed with disdain and suspicion and hostility by their neighbors to the north and the south. It was an ugly 
divide that existed, a racial one, an ethnic divide. And if you know Jesus' story, you, you might remember that he took joy in breaking down that divide often. <laughs> he sometimes made Samaritans the good guys in his parables. He highlighted the faith of Samaritan people like we heard in the gospel lesson this morning. One of the most beautiful conversations, the mu- most beautiful dialogues that are in any of the gospels is the one that Jesus has in front of his really shocked disciples with a Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. And Philip obviously shared Jesus' agenda. Philip, Philip was ready to cross boundaries. He was ready to stomp on centuries-old taboos if it meant that people would hear about Jesus. When that scattering happened, Philip said, you know where I'm going to go? I'm going to go to Samaria. And this is one of those markers that we've been talking about all through the book of Acts, one of those markers that Luke is laying down to show us what faithful witness to Jesus looks like. And church, one of those markers is that the marginalized, the outsider, the cast-off, the enemy, that these people are objects of Jesus' love. And if we follow Jesus, we will take his love into those places. If we have his agenda, like Philip had his agenda, we will take love to those people in those kinds of places. Philip did. And Luke says these formerly neglected, these formerly cast off people heard him with great joy. It's beautiful. That's what the first half of Acts 8 is about. And so at some point while Philip is living there, he gets instructions to do something that he would never otherwise do, that no one really would otherwise do. This angel tells him to go south to the road that goes through Gaza from Jerusalem to Gaza. This, this road was actually a road that went past Gaza and then through Egypt and onto the African continent. And Luke knows that his readers probably won't understand exactly all the details about it, so he makes it clear for people like us, this is a desert place. It's hot, it's dusty, it's dangerous to travel alone. So here's your next assignment, Philip. Go down to the desert and sweat and hang out there, and I'll let you know what's coming up next. I don't know if Philip would have volunteered for this assignment, but we do know what he does when God asks him to do it. He rose and he just went. Another marker for faithful witness to Jesus. Luke isn't just telling us stories. He's not just saying this happened and then this happened. He's laying down markers. This is what faithful witness looks like. And this is another one. It's one we saw in the very first week in the book of Acts. It's okay, Jesus says. It's okay for you not to know what you don't need to know. We don't domesticate Jesus into our plans. We fit into his plans. And he will drag us into them if he needs to. He didn't need to drag Philip. He just went. And there he is, ambling down this desert road in the middle of nowhere, wondering why in the world he's there. And then Luke tells us who else was on that desert road. He says there was an Ethiopian, a a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. 
In the first century, Ethiopia didn't refer to the country that we now call Ethiopia. It actually referred to the entire Nubian Empire, whose seat of power was in what we today call Sudan. In the Odyssey, Homer called the Ethiopians the furthermost of all men. And that sentiment is very much still alive in the first century. Ethiopia represented for many people the most exotic, the most far away place that they could dream of. And that's where this guy is from. And he's a man of great power. He is a man of great influence. Candace was the dynastic name for all of the Ethiopian queens. This man was in charge of the queen's treasury. He was like the CFO of the country. But he had given up something, perhaps willingly given up something for that power and that place. Luke tells us that he was a eunuch. He had been castrated. This was not uncommon in in antiquity for those who worked with royal families who were not also members of that family. This man had been sexually altered, and it was obviously an important part of his identity. So all of these things make him an incredibly remarkable person, but Luke has saved the most remarkable thing about him for last. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. I mean, he was not a Jewish man. And the fact that his body had been altered in the way that it had been altered prevented him from even becoming a proselyte to the Jewish faith. Our best guess is that he had come to Jerusalem for one of the great festivals just just to be there, just to see it, just to be around it. Because he knew when he arrived that he would be prevented from going in past the court of the Gentiles into the temple. He would be prevented from going any further than that place. His identity and his body, he knew, prevented him from participating in worship prevented his conversion to Judaism. It made him an outsider of the highest sort, but there he is anyway. Drawn to this gracious God, so different than the capricious and mercurial gods that the rest of the world offered, he had made this long and dangerous and costly trip, a trip that probably no one else in his life understood. And now he's leaving. He's going back home and he's reading. And in a million years, he could have never, ever in his wildest dreams imagined what that God that he had wanted to know, what that God that he had longed for, what that God who he had been seeking was up to in that very moment. He could have never dreamed that in that very moment, the God that he longed for, the God that he sought, was chasing him down that dusty road in the middle of nowhere to make him a son. There's Philip, ambling down that old road, probably wondering, what am I doing here? And this chariot rolls past, and the Spirit says to Philip, go over to that chariot. It's as comic as it is beautiful. Philip has to run to catch up to this chariot, and then he has to run beside this chariot. And when he does, he overhears this man reading from the prophet Isaiah, 
and he knows, oh, that's why I'm here. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And this guy says to him, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invites Philip to come up and sit beside him. And church, we have got to pay attention to this. This guy has incredible power. He has incredible influence. He was looked up at in his own country because the things that he did, the things that he said, carried the weight of royalty. When he spoke, people listened and they acted on what he said. He controls the treasury of a great empire. But even this man was humble enough. He was humble enough to know that all of his considerable learning, all of his considerable talent and power and skill, all of that was not relevant to answer the questions that mattered the most in his life. Who am I? Is there a God? (laughs) And if there is, what did he make me for? What does he want from me? Can I know him? When it comes to the most important questions of human experience, he had the humility to submit himself to the discipleship of just learning from Scripture. That's why he's reading. That's what the first Christians did. Every single time they got together, even though they had been given the gift of the Spirit, that's what he is doing. And church, our maturity, our health as a people, our flourishing as a people is just as dependent on submitting ourselves to learning from Scripture as theirs was. So I want to just encourage all of us, again, to be a people who pay attention to this and who do likewise. Because we're not just going to back into the answers to the biggest questions of our human experience. We're not just going to fall into those answers. So let's be a people who make room in our lives to learn from Scripture every day. If that's not a regular part of your life, you can start it today. There are reading plans on the welcome table in the back. Maybe you don't have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, just take the one that's in front of you in the pew. We'll get more. Don't let anything stop you. Jesus was super clear about this. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Don't let anything stop you. So Luke tells us that this guy is reading from Isaiah 53. That part of Isaiah is what we call uh, the servant songs. In that part of the book, Isaiah is thinking about God's people in exile, far from their homes, far from where they worshipped, far from their land. And they're there being ruled over by another people because they had been wayward and unfaithful. And Isaiah knows God has promised, he's promised to be faithful even in our unfaithfulness. I know he's going to deliver us. The question is, how is he going to deliver us? And that's where the servant songs come in. The servant comes to where God's people are. And he does for them what they cannot do for themselves. 
The servant takes their unfaithfulness on himself. He takes their waywardness on his own back. And he takes the shame and he takes the reproach of the whole world onto himself. And then he dies in the place of the unfaithful ones, making a way for them, making a way for the whole world to be forgiven and made new. By his wounds, the prophet says, it is by his wounds that we're healed. (laughs) Well, that's the servant who this man is reading about. Here's what he read to Philip. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And this guy just wants to know. He's dying to know. Who is this, Philip? Who is this? I have to know who this is. Is it Isaiah talking about himself or is it someone else? You know, Philip knows who it is. (laughs) He knew it as well as John the Baptist knew it the first time he laid eyes on Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I love how Luke puts it. Philip opened his mouth, (laughs) no doubt. And beginning with that scripture... He told him the good news about Jesus. Philip told him about the God who gives up his beauty to make people like you and me beautiful. Philip told that man about the God who lays aside his glory so that he can give glory to his sisters and his brothers. Philip told that man about the God who became poor so that we could become rich. He told him about the God who goes after lost sheep and chases him down. He told him about the God who searches everywhere for lost coins. He told him about the God who welcomes prodigals home with feasts of forgiveness and robes of love. Philip told that man about the God who chased him all the way from Jerusalem out onto that dusty road. And I'll bet you a hundred bucks Philip took that scroll and he rolled it over a few columns to Isaiah 56, our Old Testament lesson this morning, because there the God who chased that Ethiopian out into the desert has a word or two to say just to him. Let not the eunuch say, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, who hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons, better than daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. That's what Jesus the servant made possible for this guy through his death and his resurrection and his ascension. Before, before, man, you couldn't even get close. You were prevented at every turn. But now you have a home. Now you have a place in my house. I'm going to build a monument to you there. An everlasting name. The formerly excluded are brought near forever across race and across class and across ethnicity and across our own unfaithfulness and waywardness, across the things that we regret, across every decision that we made that we thought would be the one that defined us. 
Jesus chases us, and he makes a way for daughters and sons to come home and have a place and be forgiven. So now it's easy to see why this question is so important. Why is it the heart of the whole story? He's daring himself. He's daring himself to believe that this good news is really as good as it sounds, that it could really be for someone like him. He's checking. He's just making sure. Philip, look, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And the answer is so obvious that Luke doesn't even record it. Absolutely nothing, man. (laughs) Come on in. The water is fine. And they get in the water and Philip baptizes him. And that eunuch, Luke says, goes on his way rejoicing. (laughs) Of course. He's got a home. He's got a place. He's got a name. And church, that same God is still chasing people like you and me today. He's doing it right now. Maybe some of you feel it. You feel him right behind you. He still does it. And once we are caught, his love, his power, his healing works in us to give us everything that we need to be his witnesses in this world. Let me pray for us. Father, help us to see and help us to believe that that's who you are, that you run after people like us. You give people like us a name. You give us a place, a home within your walls. Help us to believe that that's true. And in that believing, like Philip Help us to be happy to take that kind of love wherever it needs to go and to whoever it needs to go. Father, do this for our good and for the good of the broken world around us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Will you please stand?